Hey there, everybody. It's Luke. Before we get started on the podcast today, I wanted to say a huge thank you to you for being a listener and for being part of the Livewire community. Did you know that it's our fall member drive? And, you know, fall is, is a time for Thanksgiving and being grateful. I am grateful that I've gotten to be a part of Livewire and grateful that Livewire has been here for 14 years, bringing you conversation, comedy, music, all stuff that is made possible by listeners like you, people who have stepped up and donated to support Livewire. As you probably know, if you're a regular listener, we have a scrappy, and I mean extremely scrappy, team in Portland, folks that work hard every single day to bring you the highest quality weekly public radio product. We try to bring you fascinating people. We try to bring you ideas and inspiration and insight and the occasional good belly laugh. Um, We feel like these days more than ever, Livewire is an important part of your world, an important part of making the world bigger for you and hopefully a little bit brighter. Uh, Every episode of Livewire that you hear is made possible by members who support Livewire by donating every month. And today I'm asking you to join us and become a sustaining member of Livewire during this fall member drive. Any amount that works for you really helps. It adds up. $5 here, $10 there from a lot of people really makes a huge difference in terms of us being able to keep making Livewire week in and week out. Here is what you can do. You can go to livewireradio.org and sign up. Maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you've heard me talking about this during other member drives and you just haven't gotten around to it. This is a great time to do it. Or if you were a member and you've lapsed, this is a great time to sign up once again. And if you are someone new signing up or if you sign up to renew your membership during this drive, you will get an awesome set of custom-designed Livewire notebooks from our partner, Scout Books. These notebooks look really cool. They're made in Portland, Oregon, of course, with 100% recycled paper, vegetable-based inks, and renewable energy. They are incredible. And sorry I said vegetable in a weird way. Again, go to livewireradio.org and sign up as a member today. I promise it's super fast. It's super easy. It will make all the difference in the world to us. All right. Enjoy this week's edition of Livewire. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. How is it going? Hope you're having a good week. Uh, we got a great show for you in store. Uh, we are talking about fresh starts this episode with Gary Steingart, writer extraordinaire, author of Super Sad True Love Story, and a new book called Lake Success. Plus, we've got comedian Hari Kondabalu, who just recently finished up a stint teaching stand-up comedy to inmates in Oregon. And we have Maxine McCormick. She is a two-time world champion flycaster. And she is only 14 years old. What have the rest of us been doing with our lives? Plus, we have music from Portland's own Lenore coming up. We're talking about fresh starts on the show this week. And as it happened, I sort of needed to get off to a fresh start with our actual announcer, Elena Passarello, for reasons that will become clear right now. Let's pick things up on stage at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. Elena, I feel like I need a fresh start with you 
because you've been doing this show for uh, maybe a half a year or so now. You've, you were a guest on the show previously. I was, yes. And I got an email this week uh, from our executive producer that uh, explained that I have been mispronouncing your name every single show that we've done <laughs> over the course of the last six months. My actual name is Mitch Foreman. And <laughs> I don't know how... So many of those letters are silent. I swear to God, it's pronounced Mitch Foreman? Yeah, yeah. What was I... Uh, Elena Passarello, right? What am I doing wrong? I, I didn't make this comment. I didn't, like, call Livewire HR and file a, a pronunciation claim or anything. But I think maybe Laura heard me saying my own name uh, in the announcement thing. And I say my name is Elena Passarello. But Elena, and yeah. I've been saying Elena. I mean, I, I was born in uh, the South, so it doesn't matter what your name is, uh, they're going to Southernify it. So I grew up, my name was Elena when I was growing up. So <laughs> there's, there's no wrong way, really. I mean, I would take, I would take Elena any day. But if I'm, if I'm being official, it's Elena Passarello. But I only get like the full hard E, like when my mom was mad at me. Passarello isn't a real name either. It's like a mis somebody mispronounced it at Ellis Island. The, uh, the Italian version uh, is either Passarelli or it's Passarello, like with the one of the vowels is changed. So, you know, whatever. But I mean, whether or not Passarello is a real name, it is the most perfect name for you because you're a professor at Oregon State University. <laughs> and as our house band, in particular, Jonathan, loved to remind you, what do we call you, Professorello? Professorello no. is what. <laughs> I mean, that was. That was meant to be. That's what I, my students call me. And, I, you know, speaking of fresh starts, when I moved to uh, Georgia from South Carolina after the last big hurricane, I had this fresh start. I was this new person. I was in third grade. And the teacher on the first day called me Alana, and I didn't correct her for like six weeks. <laughs> so I'm used to... But that. I mean, you let this go on even longer than that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You apparently have, uh, even, you're less forceful now in adulthood than you were as yeah. a small child my, going to school in South Carolina. My name is misspelled uh, on my mailbox at work, and I've been there for six years, and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't told them about it. You would think that I would have loved the name Luke growing up as a kid in the yeah. 80s, because Luke Skywalker was sort of a cool name, but I did not like that name for whatever reason. I thought it was an embarrassing name to have. Uh, and so I, my middle name, which I think is objectively more embarrassing, Christian, considering my dad was the pastor of a tiny, failing evangelical <laughs> church. Christian was a more loaded name, but I loved the name Christian. There was a cool guy I knew older than me named Christian. Ah. So Christian I Slater? I think, what's that? Yes. What, was it Christian Slater? Oh, I forgot to tell you, I grew up with Christian Slater. Uh, I'm in the background of Pump Up the Volume. You just, uh, there's a, like a small kid in the back. That's me. Did you glean the cube together? Zero, zero cubes were gleamed during my childhood. Um, but nice, deep Christian Slater Thanks. reference. Um, six of our audience members got that. I wanted to go by Christian, uh, but I had, and so I made a decision. When I go back to school, start of sixth grade, it's Christian. Luke is, is no longer mine. I don't answer to that name. It's my government name. Now it's Christian. But I had gotten on a baseball team where we had these jackets that had our name on them. And without even asking me, they had just had Luke stitched on there. Uh -oh. So I was like, when I grow out of this jacket, I am going by Christian. And I wore the jacket for like 11 years. I was very proud of the jacket. And so then I, the, the mood passed. And here I am, Luke Burbank still. Oh. Would you change it now if you could? Now, now that your name is on T-shirts, Luke is on the Livewire T-shirt. I feel very conflicted about that. We do have fine, fine T-shirts that you can purchase. They do have my name on them. 
I am the owner of about 10 of those shirts because <laughs> when there's a misprint or some issue, they give it to me. But my greatest nightmare is that I would be wearing a T-shirt with my name on it in just the, you know, out and about, and someone would see me and know that I'm the person whose name is on the shirt. <laughs> that would be humiliating for me. So I, I don't wear the shirt a lot out in public. Um, okay, we're talking about fresh starts this week, and we have a guest coming up who knows all about it. In fact, a number of the characters in his fine new book are trying to make a fresh start, even though by a lot of the outward appearances, their lives look amazing. The book is called Lake Success. It's getting rave reviews. Please welcome its author, Gary Steingart, to Livewire. <laughs> Hi, Gary. Hey, how are you? I was uh, driving through Washington State earlier today, uh -huh. and I almost want to show you this picture, okay. because radio is a famously visual medium. Yeah. This will be great <laughs> for the listeners. I was behind a car for like 15 miles. Their vanity license plate, I'll show it to you, it just says, I'm Gary. Oy, and oy. I wondered if this was you. <laughs> you know, my real name is Igor. Gary's my American name. I was born Igor. When we came to America, that was uh, 19, uh, Carter, 79. Uh, we decided that Igor was, uh, you know, Frankenstein's assistant, so, <laughs> um, so we changed the letters around and we got Gory, which was a fine name, uh, but <laughs> kind of would have been cooler, Gory Steingart, you know. Did you have a vote in this as a young kid? No, of course not, no, no. <laughs> My parents said, you are now Gary, make money, okay? <laughs> and I never did. <laughs> Uh, when did you get the idea to write this book, uh, the new book, Lake Success? Yeah, so the Lake Success, which is sort of, it's like a middle-aged on the road. <laughs> I, I'm really not selling it. With a hedge fund guy as the main character. In a vest. In a vest, uh, riding a greyhound across the country. Yeah, no focus group liked it, but we did it anyway. Well, like, how did the idea strike you to make this uh, the, the, the subject of the book? Well, around 2012, I live in Manhattan. Uh, I can't afford to live in Brooklyn, so I live in Manhattan. <laughs> um, and around 2012, I realized that all of my friends had moved somewhere. You know, they were all gone. They couldn't afford New York, so all my friends who were journalists, writers, academics, they're all in Berlin or the Mid-Hudson Valley. So, you know, I realized who's left? And I looked around, I looked around my own building, everyone worked either in a hedge fund or private equity or a big bank. So I said, my next character is gonna be a hedge funder. This was just because these were the people that you were sort of observing in the wild in Manhattan at, yeah. the, at the time. Yeah, it was a new sort of closely cropped athletic individual that I couldn't recognize <laughs> wearing a really weird vest. Yeah, that plays a pretty big role in the book. Like, I didn't think this book was gonna have as much vest-related content as it did. <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's a vestibule of a book. It's, oh, yeah. my goodness. Ah. Sorry. Gary Steingart, everybody. That's it. I'm going to go now. Thank you. You've been great. Yes. I, I roll with an iron that. whim, yeah. and I declare this interview over on the yeah. heels of that no. joke. I, I, um, yeah. So th uh, this guy, uh, Barry Cohen, uh, the, the protagonist of the book, he, just, he sort of has a meltdown, and he gets on a series of Greyhound buses to go out and see the world. I read that you actually took a bunch of Greyhound buses, yeah. like four months or so, worth yeah. of Greyhound buses to do research? Yeah, I got on in June and I got off in September. I, I, I suffer for you, folks. Yeah. Thank you. And that I was to go from Manhattan to Atlantic City. Yeah. <laughs> is... It's not a fast mode of transportation. 
Um, what did you see and hear and smell and learn all those months <laughs> on that Greyhound? Well, let's start with smell. Uh, because the first thing you do on the hound, as we call it, I'm not even joking, or the dog, if you like. The first thing you learn on the hound is you don't sit near the bathroom because it frequently implodes. Uh, and one of the first things they say on the hound, the driver will say, uh, no tuna or sardines uh, and no alcohol. No $2 sardines? No, no tuna or sardines. Yeah. But all other fish is fine? All other fish is fine. Huh. Uh, and no alcohol. And, well, that's Although the I speak from experience yeah. from about four months ago, you can bring alcohol <laughs> on a Greyhound if you put your mind to it. Okay, we got to travel together. You're my guy. <laughs> yeah. Also, you want to sit next to the bus driver because on long-haul routes uh, at night, he'll frequently fall asleep. That's, that's in the book. I don't think I'm giving anything away, but that can actually happen. That was terrifying I, yeah. when I thought it was a work of fiction. No, we all had to shout, wake up, sir, wake up. Um, basically, everything in this book happened to me. <laughs> Do you have a lake success? I, don't, I hope I'm not giving anything away, but lake success, it represents something in the mind of yeah. Barry, um, the focus of the book. It's, just, it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a dreamlike place for him where he wants to go because he thinks things are going to be okay. Do you, Gary Steingart, have a lake success in your mind? Yeah, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> When I got on the Hound in June in New York, I, I thought, you know, this is just a sideshow. Hillary's going to win, blah, blah, blah. When I got off the Hound in September, after hanging out with these people, I started pricing Toronto real estate. Really? Yeah. Everyone on the Hound told me, it's, it's, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I was wrong. So what I'm saying is, I mean, we got to get on the Hound in real life or metaphorically. <laughs> So, uh, like, where all did you travel in those four months? Uh, so I started in New York City, went to Baltimore, uh, Richmond, Virginia, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I have a Queens accent. I got to try. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Jackson, Miss, El Paso, Texas, and uh, Phoenix and San Diego. I, I had occasion to take some greyhounds this summer. I, a buddy of mine and I, we launched on a project to try to hitchhike from Minnesota mm -hmm. to Mississippi, and we were semi-successful, but there was a couple days where, because of weather problems, we, we got on the, the hound. Got on the dog. We got on the dog. And <laughs> I have to say, like, one of the things I love about your book, uh, Gary, is that it's, I don't think it's overly sentimental. I don't think it's trying to find some sort of magical moment. Yeah if one doesn't need to exist. I did see some of those magical moments. Like, I just, you know, it's, it's a, a mode of transportation for a lot of people who are economically at the margin. And what I thought was interesting was, I mostly fly for my job stuff, and it's like people just couldn't be meaner to each other when they're on the airplane. It's like everybody wants to get out of the plane as fast as possible and jostle for the middle seat, whatever. Mm -hmm. The people on these, I took a Greyhound from... Uh, somewhere into Missouri and then down south from there. And uh, people had all, all their worldly possessions sometimes yeah. in a variety of, of just bags, things that had been thrown mm -hmm. together. And everybody on the bus was helping this stuff yeah. on and off. Nobody that I saw got mad at anybody else. Yeah. Like, it was like, things can't get much worse for us, so let's not try to make each other's lives worse. Yeah, yeah. Which I wish we could bring to air travel Word. a little bit, if that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, but... Uh, I'll take tepid applause. Yeah. I think that's... That's about the level of applause that deserves. I'm down. Uh, no, people were very nice. We ate a chicken together. Uh, uh, many people had just left either correctional or mental institutions and often had the band to prove it, you know. Um, 
I love them. I, I really, the, the only scary part was in, I'm not going to name Louisiana by name, but a certain yeah. state in the South. <laughs> oh my God, all of a sudden these white supremacists got on board. This is 2016, and the book is set during the first summer of Trump, so to speak. And all of a sudden these guys got up and started saying very loudly, uh, we got to crucify Muslims and Jews. Now, I belong to one of those categories. <laughs> See if you can guess which. Um, and just like my hero, Barry Cohen, I, get off, I got off in Shreveport and bought a New Testament coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a kid backpacking through Europe who puts a Canadian flag yes, on their backpack. exactly. That's exactly right. Always carry a New Testament when you're in Louisiana on the dog. That's wow. my advice. This seems like a perfect place to take a short break. We're talking <laughs> to Gary Steingart. His new book is Lake Success. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. We will be back in just a moment. Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Based in Portland, Oregon, Fully is an amazing company that sells and distributes things that will help you feel healthier while you are being productive doing your work. How do I know this? Well, because I use a Jarvis standing desk from Fully when I am on stage recording Livewire. That's right. I can set that thing at any different height that works for me in that moment. It keeps the blood flowing, keeps uh, me feeling engaged. I think you can hear the results, my friends, coming through the radio and the podcast. If you would like to stay healthy and productive while you're being productive at your work, whether it's at home or in the office, you got to check out what the folks at Fully are doing. Go to Fully.com slash Livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash Livewire. They've also got the Cooper Standing Desk Converter. That gives you the ability to set your desk at any height you want as well. And just uh, figure out a spot that works for you. I promise it'll make a difference in your, in your work productivity and how good you'll feel at the end of the day. I know it has for me. I also use the TikTok stool when I'm at home doing all of my uh, radio show writing projects. Uh, it's made such a difference for me and for our whole Livewire staff, and I know you're going to have the same experience. So again, find out what Fully has got going on by heading over to Fully, that's F-U-L-L-Y, dot com slash Livewire. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon this week. Luke Burbank here with announcer Elena Passarello and Gary Steingart. His new book is Lake Success. You may know him from his many other amazing works, including Super Sad, True Love Story, and Little Failure. Um, New York Magazine did an interview with you about some things. It's like eight things I can't live without. Mm -hmm. And I... For, for whatever reason, I haven't read many of the classics, but I cannot pick up a magazine fast enough if it has the mundane <laughs> things that a famous person likes, because I'm, you know, I'm pretty erudite that way. And so I, I read yours with great interest, and what I noted was that most of the things that you listed not being able to live without, it was a shirt you liked, it was a watch you liked, I believe some sunglasses, some persols, they were all things that were given to you for doing a reading somewhere. Are you in this literary game just to get free stuff? <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. And there's a country that exists just to give away stuff to, to, people, to writers and other people. Uh, it's called Italy. I don't know how it survives, but the moment I land there, they give me stuff. <laughs> These socks, they're from The Gap, but I got them in Italy for doing a reading. You get off the plane, yeah. and they come up to you, and they're like, here are some socks. Yeah, they're like, Signora Stengarte, these are socks. Uh, try these. Um, I can't really do that, right? No. 
let's talk about bro finance culture for a okay. minute. What's worse, bro finance culture, these sort of hedge fund folks that are making ludicrous amounts of money or losing money yeah. and yeah. still somehow getting paid yeah. for that, yeah. or uh, the kind of literary cognoscenti? Because both of them come up in the book. If you had to hang out with one group or the other, who would you choose? I think I would choose literary cognoscenti uh, because we all go to the same cafe in New York, Cafe Sabarsky. It's post-analytic appointments. And we have our... <laughs> Is it downstairs from, like, ex- Tin Pan Alley of therapy? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> For our Café Mitschlag, that we do that at 6. Then we have our crying hour, but that lasts till midnight. <laughs> but the hedge fund bros I hung out with, especially in 2017 when all the funds began to tank, we drank so much. Every man, and it was men, uh, would drink his own bottle of Balvenie 30 year old. Uh, and then one night at 5 a.m. I got home and I sat in a corner. I couldn't unbutton my own shirt. I couldn't figure out how to use my fingers. So my wife had to do it for me. And I'm Russian. I can drink, you know. And, and you were hanging out with these finance folks because you were researching the book, basically? Exactly. Three to four years of, of suffering. Yeah. <laughs> How do you find them to talk to? Were you just passing them on the street and asking if you could go drink with them and uh, because there's nobody else in Manhattan anyway? Exactly, yeah. Every time I saw a vest, I was like, hey, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get vested. And and (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop now, sorry. If you probably have in your brain that there might be sort of a jaundiced eye with which Mm -hmm. you're going to paint this group of people, (laughs) how do you make that attractive enough to the people so that they'll follow you around. You can't be like, I want a lamb. You right. Know. So I was lucky enough, I met a lot of dissatisfied hedge fund guys. Uh, uh, many of them had intellectual pretensions. Many I heard them, the smallest uh, ripple of sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> or that was just like major sarcasm, just undulate <laughs> through the crowd here at the Alberta Rose Theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everything they said was hilarious. Everything members of their family said was always hilarious. Like I, I met one hedge fund wife and she said, I was asking, I have a little kid, and I said, where should we send him to school? And she said, oh, ethical culture for sure. And I said, why that? And she said, because it's so diverse. I was like, really? And she said, yeah, some of these kids, their dads aren't even hedge fund managers. They're just doctors or lawyers. That's in the book. (laughs) That is verbatim in the book. I know. (laughs) No one is going to hang out with you again. I know. The island of Manhattan is closed to me, so I'm moving here. Yeah. We'll take him. Thank you. Gary Steingart, everybody. The new book is Lake Success. All right, Gary, I feel like we have been getting to know you uh-huh. in, a, in a real and personal way here on the show so far, but we want to try to take it a level deeper, oh, which is no. something we, we endeavor to do here on LiveWire. And so uh, what, what I have here in front of me is an actual physical jar. In it, we have the five essential questions of our time. You're a, a man of letters. You've been honored with various awards for your writing. You have bestsellers. You know a thing or two about a thing or two. Yeah. And so what we'd like you to do is draw a question out of here. Oh, Elena no. Passarello will read the question, then we want you to answer it honestly. We call this exercise the jar of truth. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. He is pulling a question out. Now, if you can hand that to Elena. Uh, Elena will read it, uh, and then we will get an answer to one of the five essential questions of our time. If you bring a bottle of wine to a potluck and nobody opens it, can you then ethically (laughs) take it home? (laughs) 
Oh my God, this question is my whole life, basically. <laughs> I would leave my bottle, but take a better one unopened. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. I've been living in Manhattan a long time. <laughs> this is not your first rodeo? Not my first rodeo with stolen bottles at parties, no. Now, did you know you were picking up a more expensive bottle as you, as you left, or, or is it one of those things where you just grabbed the wrong one, but you weren't going to take it back? I just bring a $3 bottle of Georgian wine always, so <laughs> anything's going to be better. Just, was this at one of the tech bro parties where you could get like, some kind of Chateauneuf de Pop that hasn't been opened since Napoleon or something? I once bought a $200 bottle of whiskey to a hedge fund party, and the guy says, I admire your poverty. There's a lot about expensive alcohol in the book Lake Success as well. It's a way of the characters establishing where they are in the pecking order. And, uh, and the protagonist ha gets like a $30,000 bottle of whiskey. Is uh, that a real thing? Yes, it's a $33,000 bottle of Kurosawa that I drank quite a bit of. I drank a Hyundai Sonata's worth of, of whiskey one night. I drank a Hyundai Sonata, everyone. Was this at a potluck? Like, is this, is this what... Do, do tech bros have... Potlucks? No. No? Okay. <laughs> so you ha you've had this $33,000 whiskey. Yeah. How does it taste? It's good. <laughs> it's really good. I, I would encourage everyone to try one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great job on the book, Lake Success. Thank Gary you. Gary Steingart, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Livewire is brought to you by Alaska Airlines, who asks, what comes to mind when you think of Alaska Airlines? Snowdrifts and husky puppies? Well, how about sunscreen and salsa dancing? Yeah, don't be fooled by the name. Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world with 1,200 daily flights and over 115 destinations like New York, Honolulu, and Mexico City. So the next time you think Alaska Airlines, think Skylines, Luau's, and Margaritas. Find out where else they fly at alaskaair.com. Of course, we here at Livewire, we, we bring folks in from all over the country to be on the show. But as it happens, Portland is also full of interesting people, and we like to meet one of them each week as well. We call it our new fascinating friend. Let's meet one right now. Please welcome Maxine McCormick to Livewire. Maxine, welcome to Livewire. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Maxine, you are how old? 14. And you are the reigning world champion of what exactly? Um, if you know what fly fishing is, yes. it's the same tackle as that, except you're hitting targets or trying to go for distance. And this is called what? What's the sport called? Fly casting. Fly casting. Are you, if I, do I have this right? You're the two-time world fly casting champion? Yeah, and accuracy. Yeah. Ah. For, for what age group? Uh, women's. There's All ages? Yeah. You are the best woman at doing this on planet Earth. Yeah. And you're 14 years old. 
So, okay, so for, for people that aren't familiar, can you kind of explain how the sport works, like what you're actually trying to do in the competition? Um, so there's one accuracy event at the World Championships, and you're, there's four targets, and you have to hit them four times. And then for distance events, there's five of them, and um, you're just trying to shoot it as far as you can. So you have a fishing pole, mm -hmm. and it has line on it, and there's tackle on the end of the line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I have a hard time picking up concepts. That's why I'm going so slow with this, Maxine. <laughs> and your part of the competition is you're casting to a specific target in the water. Yeah. And then part of it is you're just casting it as far as you can. Yeah. But I like, don't... how are you casting it farther than grown adult women? And are they mad at you when you come to the competition? <laughs> um, I don't really know. I don't get that nervous, so maybe that's it. But um, I think it's the technique, because my coach is really good with technique and he knows probably the most about fly casting than anybody else does. Yeah, but I have a feeling if your coach sat down with me and taught me the technique, I would not be as good as you. You must have had, you must have some kind of special knack for this. Uh, did I read right that your, your dad was going to a casting club and you went with him and did you tried it out and was, did everybody just like back up like, oh my God, she's here. The one we all were hearing about. The chosen one. Yes. Like, what was it like the first time you did it? Were you immediately good at this? No. <laughs> no, I was really bad at first. I couldn't hit a target. Really? Yeah. Why did you decide to continue on with it? I assumed that you were just, like, immediately good, and you knew you had something special, but you're saying you weren't? No, I wasn't. I don't know. I just really liked trying to hit the target. And when somebody started showing me the right technique and I started hitting targets, it was just really fun. You were how old when you won your first championship? Twelve. What, what was that like? Well, some of them thought it was a fluke, so winning again at the World Championships this year was definitely a good way to show that it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> but, yeah. If you, if you decide to not continue pursuing this, do you have any other... Th I mean, you're young. You don't have to make up your mind, but is there something else that interests you in the world, something else you'd like to do in adulthood? Like, what seems like a fun job for you? Um, I think veterinarian or pediatrician would be pretty cool. Yeah. Maxine McCormick, everybody, our new fascinating friend. Thanks for coming on LiveWire. This is Live Wire Radio. Uh, this week we're talking about fresh starts, and uh, we asked the audience here at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland um, about kind of what you might consider to be the ultimate fresh start, which is basically if you could be reincarnated as someone or something, who would you pick and why? And Elena Passarello, you've been collecting up some of these responses. Uh, what are you seeing over there? We've got some trends going here. Okay. Uh, the first major trend is people who would like to be reincarnated as their pets. Uh, there were two votes for wanting to be reincarnated as cats and seven votes for people who wanted to be reincarnated as dogs, including Mike, who wants to be reincarnated as his dog because then quote, my wife would love me even more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I get that 100%, dude. Uh, any, other, any other cards striking your fancy? 
Okay, here's the second uh, major grouping. People who would want to be reincarnated as celebrities. Um, so, Barbie. <laughs> the reasoning, this is Catherine, the reasoning. Barbie, fabulous wardrobe, no kids or husband, ex <laughs> exciting careers, plural, because she was a businesswoman and an astronaut, and my Barbie ran a McDonald's. Right? She had the uniform You know what I would say to those of you hissing? Hate the game, not the player. That's right. That's what Barbie was making it work for Barbie. That's right. The best revenge is your paper, says Barbie. Yeah, right? Uh, sh Barbie and I, says Catherine, are the same age, but she's held up a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's anatomically impossible, yeah, so don't beat yeah. yourself up, Her Catherine. Her ankles don't work. Yeah. Um, other celebrities? <laughs> Gilda Radner. Oh, that'd be a good one. Uh, Prince, just so, this is from Betty, so I could finish the piano tour, R.I.P., John Muir, very Oregon. Yes. Dolly Parton. Yeah. And uh, Robert Mueller. <laughs> Wait, like... <laughs> hey, hey, no, listen. Bad idea. Tear that one up. We don't need anyone quantum leaping into him right now. He knows what he's doing. Don't bacula him. He has the institutional information at this point. We don't need someone Scott Bacula-ing in there and being like, where am I? Who am I? This is Livewire Radio. We're talking about fresh starts this week and uh, our next guest. He is a longtime pal of mine. I've watched him with a mix of excitement and deep jealousy as he's become a bigger part of the cultural conversation over the last few years. His documentary, The Problem with Apu, generated a variety of responses from the creators of The Simpsons. Uh, he also put out a Netflix stand-up special in 2018 called Warn Your Relatives, and he's been named one of Variety's top 10 comics to watch. Please welcome Hari Kondabalu to Livewire. This is fun. Hey, Luke. Hi, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Can I ask you a question about the last game? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, so it's who would you want to be reincarnated as, right? Yes. But, but if you're currently alive and you die and you come back, you can't be somebody from the past. So the question is really, who would you rather be? We thought it would be more fun if we mangled the proud tradition of another culture by I asking, mean, who would you like to be reincarnated I mean, I don't, as? I, I don't mean to, like, you know, but I'm just saying as a, a Hindu, you know, we, um, we, we kind of created the concept. So. <laughs> uh, but sure, it's Portland. Mix and match. Do what you want. How about this? God. <laughs> Everything has to be so politically correct with you. Who would Not you politically correct. Correct. <laughs> All right. Fair. Fair point. Who would you like to trade places with, Hari? Oh, like somebody, current, current day. Um, sometimes I think my brother. Really? Yeah, I mean, like my brother was in a, a cool rap group called Das, das Racist. Racist. Amazing right? band. Toured the world, like was on Conan first. No, no. I wouldn't want to do that because then I'd be the younger brother. And that sucks. Really? My older sibling is so much better. I'm the oldest of seven, and I have to say, uh, I've enjoyed it being the oldest. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to be anything else, though. I don't know, maybe being the baby of the family, maybe there's some benefits to that. Ah, no. I mean, I remember, here's a small example. I, I made a joke about this once, but one time my brother and I played this game called the Belt Game, and... <laughs> there is no way this ended well. Oh, no, it didn't. <laughs> 
The belt game is when we hit each other with dad's belt. Right, okay, yeah. And I, because I'm oldest, I got to go first. <laughs> Thus ending belt game forever. <laughs> this is why we can't have fun things. Yes. <laughs> uh, did I hear right that uh, you were recently in prison here in the state? Yeah, a few days ago. Um, yeah, there's a program in a minimum security prison in North Portland uh, where there's lots of classes for, for, for inmates. And one of the classes is a comedy class. And I got asked to teach in this comedy class for a couple of days. And it was amazing. I got to... Um, well, first of all, the first thing they told me is don't wear blue because all the inmates wear blue and it would be confusing, which is like, there must be a better way to distinguish... <laughs> People who are and are not inmates, other than the color blue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so I didn't, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. They're they're doing a talent show next week, and there's like about like 15 uh, inmates who were you know doing comedy. They did a talent show three months previous, and they wanted to go over their jokes and. And that's the one great thing about stand-up is that anyone can do stand-up. You know, it's not like other art forms, other things where you need money to get started, right? You just show up, you go to a microphone, you talk into it. It's like so straightforward. And I love the fact that it's, it's equal opportunity in that regard. So, you know, why not? Why, why shouldn't they be able to, to learn the art form? And, and they were funny. Like, they were legit funny. Yeah. What, like, what was your approach? I'm, I'm, have you taught stand-up before? Do you have kind of a curriculum that you do? No, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but Like, what do you say day one in the minimum security prison on, like, here's how to do stand-up? I mean, to some degree, you know, I, I tell people that it's important to listen to stand-up and not just watch it if you want to be a stand-up. Because when you listen to stand-up and the comic is making you laugh, it's incredible because there's, they're not even in front of you. The words are so well-written, so well-placed that you're forced to emote. That means that if you're on stage and you're already funny without seeing you, like when you're actually there and you're seeing the comedy, you're going to laugh even more. So I think that's, that's one thing. Um, the fact there are no rules. You can do whatever you want with comedy. Don't be restricted by what other people tell you. I mean, for the most part, I just wanted them to ask me questions and I wanted to go over their, their jokes because they had all written a ton of jokes. And they, you know, I wanted to help them with their sets for the talent show. So we went over jokes and some of the jokes were like amazing and some of the jokes, well, okay. How do you tell, how do you tell someone, and granted this wasn't Rikers Island, but right, like, how sure. do you tell somebody who's currently incarcerated that their joke's really not working? The cool thing about jokes is that the silence tells them. <laughs> so, I mean, it gets me off the hook. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot when someone's telling me a joke or if I'm in a stand-up comedy club, I feel, because I think of my own like insecurities and whatever, I feel very uh, like embarrassed for a person if they tell a joke and it doesn't get a laugh. So I will personally try to laugh. I, I was doing like some of that. Robert De Niro in Cape Fear in the back of the theater. <laughs> like, it becomes menacing at some point. But it's like, I just like... I, I don't want them to feel bad. Right. Were you able to stifle that in the professional advancement of these people learning what was and wasn't a good joke? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, this guy really needs me to laugh right now, so uh, I'm going to laugh right now. I mean, there were good jokes. This one guy, uh, oh, God, it was funny. He, he, he was talking about the Matrix, and he was saying how Neo had to pick between the two pills. Yeah, the red pill and the blue pill. Right. And he said, it, I, if it was me, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have picked. I would have taken both pills because I like pills. 
That's a good that joke. That is a solid joke. That is a good joke. I did not see that coming either. Uh, yeah. I, I was like, he had another one too. He was like, uh, apparent, apparently uh, Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it. And what I, uh, what I realized recently is that you could still put cocaine in it. <laughs> but that's good. That's really good. Did somebody incarcerate Stephen Wright? Right. <laughs> I was just so, and like they all have these great stories and, you know, and they were saying like, when you're in prison for such a long time, you know, whether it's a couple of years, some folks had been there like decades, like you have a lot of time to think and you also have a lot of trauma that you're trying to find a way to work through and comedy and being like, like comedy is natural. It's a defense mechanism. It's how we've survived. There's no other evolutionary advantage to laughing, right? Right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get you food. It doesn't get you, it, it, it's, 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 it's some way that we can survive hard times. And so, they all have great stories, and I love the fact that in a comedy club, they get judged based on whether they're funny or not, nothing else. And I think that's important. Wow. Um, your new Netflix special, Warn Your Relatives, it's got some real hot takes on, on Indians and Indian Americans and their love of mangoes. Yeah. What yeah. gives? Uh, Indians love mangoes. <laughs> that's the, essentially the joke. How did you get a Netflix special out of that? Oh, man, they must have confused me with somebody else. Um, you know, it's funny. I wanted to get more personal on this special because I feel like a lot of my act is so, like, sociopolitical, and, and it, it talks about things I'm, I'm very passionate about, but I don't really share anything about me, so people kind of think they know me through my ideas, and I'm like, why don't I just tell people who I am? And, uh, you know, this mango thing is just about, like, the history of mangoes and how, how it's a big cultural thing for South Asians, and I wanted to dig a little deeper and, and let people know who I was because it's just a weird thing to go up there and rant. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, like, based on my style, which is kind of aggressive and the fact that I went after The Simpsons, like, I just look like a killjoy. No one's allowed to have fun unless I tell you how. But I can also see how this evolved for you because you, you know, you were a community organizer in Seattle. Yeah. You have a background in economics. I mean, you, I, I know that social justice is a really important issue to you and you also were doing stand-up. Yeah. And so it seems only natural that when you get a microphone and people listening, these two parts of your life are going to kind of blend together. Yeah, but the thing is, when you're a comic, I think the, the thing that people love is that they connect to you and they feel like they know you, right? And the thing is, offstage, I'm much more agreeable than I am on stage. you know what I mean? Like, I think that's true. You're a true. very agreeable fellow. I'm like, I'm, I'm very charming. And then... Let's not get carried away. And... But on stage, I feel like I, you know, I saw myself as this person that has this tunnel vision, and I'm I'm good at writing jokes that are critical of things. But I'm like, I want to have fun. Hey, man, I love mangoes. <laughs> like, like, and and I like talking about. I mean, still, I talked about colonialism in the bit, but still, <laughs> the mango doesn't fall that far from the, the tree. tree. <laughs> Uh, we have to take a quick break. We have Hari Kondabalu here. You can see him on Netflix currently with Warn Your Relatives. Uh, you can also hear his uh, podcast, the Kondabalu Brothers Podcast. Check it out, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Livewire. We'll be back in just a moment. Hey there, we want to say a special thanks this episode to Rob and Carrie Peacock of Portland, Oregon. Rob and Carrie are part of the Livewire member community. They've been generously supporting us with a donation each month, and we are really thankful for that support. 
It is genuinely what allows us to keep LiveWire going. So a huge thanks to Rob and Carrie. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRI. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. We have Hari Kondabalu here. Um, the New York Times wrote a piece uh, a little while ago about uh, Kamau Bell's show, uh, Totally Biased, which you were a staffer on. And the, yeah. I, the gist of the, of the article was uh, Totally Biased with Kamau Bell had like every promising comedian working on it, performing on it, and then it, it was canceled, and then they've all gone off into the world and done these amazing things. What was, your, what was the feeling reading that a couple of years after the show had been canceled? I mean, we could have used this five years ago. <laughs> this, would, this probably would have helped. I mean, it was one of those things when we were doing it, I'm like, I think this is a little ahead of its time. So I'm already imagining it having like a Ben Stiller show status or a Dana Carvey show kind of thing. Just because we were talking about whether it was transgender rights or we were talking about police brutality and, you know, Kamau is so aggressive, you know, with his stand-up. He goes after big issues, and it's not to be snarky. It's with passion. It's with a clear point of view. And it's with that passion and clear point of view that won him four Emmys after the show ended. Yeah, right. Um, he, just won, he just won an Emmy recently yeah. and brought his baby and had a big patch on the baby that said families belong together. I, well, on the red carpet, so he I'm, was not soft-pedaling it. No, and I'm happy for him, but I'm sick of seeing pictures of him and his Emmy, and I'm yes. sick of him texting it to me. Yeah. <laughs> and we're good friends, but, like, how many more of these pictures can I take? Yeah, but I mean, like, I think that the show was an incredible show, and uh, I wish we were around longer, and I thought maybe, you know, we were ahead of our time. I didn't know we were, like, two or three years ahead of time. Like, we probably should have stayed on a couple of years longer right. so everyone else caught up. But, you know, it was uh, it was a really smart show, and, and I, I, the guy Brandon was on it. Aparna Cherla was on it. Eliza Skinner, who writes for Corden, was on it. Janine Brito, Dwayne Kennedy. Like, a bunch of people and a bunch of older writers who were on Mystery Science Theater and on Conan and all these different shows. And what an incredible space to be in and... and you know, come out with such a powerful voice. So there's been an argument going around lately, or maybe a conversation about what is and isn't stand-up comedy. And then I think it was Kumail Nanjiani who said that's the most boring conversation to have. <laughs> like, if you like it, watch it. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Right. right. And I think some of this uh, uh, was sort of revolving around uh, Hannah Gatsby and her uh, her act that she's been doing, which is very confessional and doesn't have a joke happening every five seconds, but is really making people kind of rethink right. what can and can't be stand-up comedy. Do you feel like stand-up comedy is evolving and changing, even in like your time doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what makes comedy great. That's why it's so weird. Like, no, that's not what a joke looks like. How is that stand-up when, when there's so much pain involved? And like, one, Richard Pryor talked about setting himself on fire and then he made jokes about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's how you know it's good because you can take something that's so painful and you can dig a hole with sadness and then somehow fill it in with laughter. I mean, I find that amazing. I don't. I can't believe I just said that. That was pretty good. That, and like, did you just make that up? Yeah, I just made that up. Uh, Trademark that. Good. It's good. Uh, <laughs> there's a comedy club that's opening up right now. Like laughter fillers. <laughs> Spelled uh, with a Z. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's what makes comedy so incredible is that it has that ability. Secondly, it's a human being and a microphone and a stage. 
like, how can you put restrictions on anything? There's absolutely nothing in your way. You should be able to do whatever you want. You're just painting pictures with words, right? So to me, it just feels ridiculous when people are like, that's not comedy, or they go the other route. It's like, you know, it's so politically correct. And I'm like, every time someone like criticizes new things for being politically correct, they've just aged themselves 50 years. Like, it's just basically saying, ah, the kids these days, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know? I, I can't think of too many times when something that was deemed politically correct is looked back on in 20 years, anyone was like, yeah, they were wrong. Right, right. That has like, there's a 0% batting average <laughs> yeah. for, for that argument. You know what? That slur was okay. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe we got mad about it, but now we're back into right. it. <laughs> Hari Kondabalu, everybody. The Netflix special is Warn Your Relatives. This is Live Wire Radio from PRI. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon this week. And our musical guests this hour are an indie folk band whose self-described debut album showcases their dreamy, melancholic blend of harmony-driven music. Please welcome Lenore to Live Wire. Rebecca and Joy, I, I have a question for both of you. Is the website for the band to be believed when it says you basically started this thing sort of out of the personal wreckage of both of your lives? Mm -hmm. Why did you put that on the website? Well, you know, our songs are honest, and I think it's just good for people to know what they're going to get into when they listen to our music. It's not exactly um, fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're so excited to have you here, and you have a ton of fans in the audience. Um, what song are we going to hear? This is a song that uh, Reba wrote, and um, it's my very favorite song. It's called Thick Skin, Tender Heart, and it's about that. Have both. <laughs> we had heard that the fresh start was the theme for tonight's show, but we kind of didn't think about that when we chose what songs we wanted to do and they were weirdly apt, very apt and the song is definitely just about coming over that hump and collecting yourself and realizing your strength and moving forward um, one step at a time, yeah? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yes. yes. Here There's we like go. a minor chord, you guys are gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lenore on Livewire. stars you've got thick skin and a tender heart you can piece together what they tore apart you've got thick skin and a tender heart you've got thick skin and a tender heart in
Amazing. All right, that's going to do it for our show this week. Thanks to our guests, Gary Steingart, Hari Kondabalu, Maxine McCormick, and the wonderful folks from the band Lenore. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Fully and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Lauren Masterson is our development and marketing director. Tim Harkins is our operations director. And Christian Sager is our marketing associate. Our editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom, A. Walker Spring, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Elena Passarello is our announcer. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake, and our on-air mix is by Corey Shreppel. Thank you, as always, to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we got to thank member Kurt Sobolewski of Portland, Oregon, for his support. For more info about our show or how you can find our podcast or sign up for our newsletter, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.
RI Public Radio International.